Amen. Thank you, choir. What a wonderful job. Lead me to the cross. Certainly where we would like for the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to lead us today. uh, To the cross where our Lord died for us and shed His blood. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that uh, leads us to understand that the church has always had issues. There's always been uh, in the church a, the rising and the dealing with issues. There's because we are filled, a church full of people, individuals that have ideas and thoughts and understandings and different levels of understanding of, of Scripture and of teaching of God and, and of closer walk with God and fellowship with God. Different understandings of backgrounds and what is expected of a Christian. As we see the first early church being there in Jerusalem, not many days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and His teaching and instructing of His disciples still fresh in their ears and heavy on their hearts because they had heard the message. They witnessed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They experienced Him and the commissioning of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then as they began to preach and proclaim the gospel, they saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming and hundreds and even thousands of people who accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, their lives were transformed and a church was born. A church unlike the church of of old, being a place and a temple and a a place of worship and and an hour of worship, a set time and ritual of worship as in Jerusalem to experience the closeness of God. No, a church that would literally expand to all the corners of the world. As we gather this morning to worship in in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and in a traditional form of worship, we gather in a building, in a place, a set time as prescribed not by us, but by those who went before us that established the hour of the meeting on Sunday morning and the traditions that we go by. The order of service is not one that is... is uh, has been created by Brother Ryan or myself, but it is similar to the order of service that we inherited as staff members coming to a church. It is much like the order of service that I inherited in my last church, and it did not change much. Only one time have I been known to radically change an order of service. One time. And after I was spoken to by leadership and said, We got the picture. We got it. We understand it. See, someone was fussing at me about how long I preached. And I was going over and running into their meal time. You're supposed to eat at 12 o'clock. I encourage you, if I start preaching over, you can bring your sandwich and eat it here. While I I preach. It will not bother me if you're eating while I preach. It will be okay. I preached in Honduras and babies were feeding on the front row. Okay? And it did not distract me from preaching. But someone complained that my, my sermons were too long, and this was in my previous church, so it did not affect you. It was not about you or, or here. I don't think I've ever had anybody approach me and say, Brother Kent, your sermons are too long at Woodlawn, and we'd like for you to cut them short. It hadn't happened yet. It may happen today, but it hadn't happened yet. 
And so what I did there, and to make my point that I wanted to preach the word that God had given me and the message that God had laid on my heart, we began with the sermon. The first thing we did when we walked into the auditorium was I stepped to the pulpit and I preached till I was through. And then we had the invitation and we had the song service and the taking up of the offering and the closing prayer. We did that about three Sundays, and the same person who was complaining about how long I was preaching came to me and said, I got it. Let's go back to our old service order. We inherited the way we worship. We inherited the way we have organizational meetings. Sometimes when we talk about changing things and moving things around, we understand why would you want to do that. Well, I can remember a time in the short history of my time being here at Woodlawn when there was no Awana program on Sunday night. So moving it or changing it might not be that far-fetched. And certainly where Bible drills have were here and, and left and then came back for a short time, and now we're wanting to bring them back because it's important that we turn in God's Word. When I say act, turn the book of Acts, the sixth chapter, you can turn there. You may be an adult and say, I need to take part in Bible drills so I can learn how to find the Scripture and turn in the Bible. It's very quite simply. There's 66 books. You just remember, you memorize them in the order that they're placed in the Scripture. Do not get you a chronological Bible and try to keep up because you will be lost the whole time. You will never find the passages if you do that. We talked about that some this morning in our message. But early in the church life, there began to be a problem in the church. And not long there in Jerusalem, the church and Peter, and, and think about the pastors that were there on staff. Think about the apostles, James and John and Peter. They were there. These were those who walked with Christ, and they're the ones doing the instructing in that early church. And there is a problem. So I rest a little bit easier when there rises a problem. I say, well, at least I, they, you know, I'm not Paul and having a problem. I'm not Barnabas in having a problem. I'm not James or John in having a problem. So I guess it's okay. I'm not at that level, and, and I guess it'd be okay that I would have an issue that I would have to deal with. It says, in those days, a number, as we look in the Scripture, chapter 6, verse 1, in those days, as the number of the disciples were multiplying, they, that means the church was growing, there, came, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews Against the Hebrewic Jews, that they were widows were being that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now here's where we have, and we have two groups of people. One of those groups were traditional Jews, Hebrews, trained true to their to their livelihood, true to their upbringing, true to the way that they were raised and taught in the traditions of their forefathers. And understand, just by changing and becoming a Christian and followers of Christ, they did not give up all of those Hebrew traditions. You would find in the Scripture that even Peter and John were still going to the temple at the hour of prayer, still going to temple worship and observing the feast days and holy days of Israel. But these were the Hebrewic Jews. These were the ones who were, were following traditional. The Hellenistic Jews were those who were, they were a little bit more worldly. They came, they grew up maybe not in Israel, not in Jerusalem. They maybe grew up in some other part of the Roman Empire. And they, or they traveled and lived there for a period and they came back. And they were influenced by where they lived. They came back and they wore clothes that were not the same as, 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 their, as their counterparts and their friends who stayed in Jerusalem and were traditional Jews in the Hebrew uh, life. 
They were a little different because they had been out and experienced something outside of Jerusalem. You know, I talk about how I grew up in southwest Mississippi and how isolated we were from the world. I was in the amaze when I got in school and began to learn that Vicksburg was a part of the South. You don't find that funny, do you? It was to us. We thought when you talked about the South in the Civil War, you were talking about us in southwest Mississippi. And then we found out that Vicksburg was even in the South. We considered you all Yankees until then. We didn't know any better. You know, that's kind of the way we looked at it. If you were north, north of Meadville, you had to be that way. On the other side. Well, these Hellenistic Jews had either moved from other parts of the Roman Empire or had lived there and moved back uh, and uh, lived in different, in different environments. Their diets were maybe a little different. They accepted things that the Hebrew Jews did not accept. And there was a division there. You can't imagine living in a place where there's division. Can you? We don't live in a land of division, do we? Y'all can laugh because you know it's not true. We do live in a land of division. We live in a land of diversity. We live where not everyone is accepted or our ideas are not accepted. And therefore in the church, as the body of Christ is growing, we're encouraged to be united in one faith, in one service, in one Lord. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and that alone should bring us together. There is the power in Christ that that, no matter how diverse we are, that one fact brings us together and unites us. And so we have in the early church two different groups, and there is trouble. A daily distribution of bread, of of provisions for the widows, the Hebrewic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, felt like their widows were being shorted and they were not being taken care of. Their needs were not being taken care of. And then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry, teaching of God's Word, instructing in God's Word. Two roles accepted in Baptist life today. Almost, uh, it's almost universal in Southern Baptist life that these two offices are accepted. In our church, these are the two offices that are accepted, the role of the deacons and the role of the pastor and preachers, teachers, and leading the worship service. That's the two roles that are set apart. And we take that from this one, this one of the earliest passages of Scripture where we find this division. And we know that there was a complaint, there was diversity in the church, and there were those who were having issues within the body of Christ. It happens. From time to time, we have issues in the body of Christ. Not just our church or any church particular, but all churches will face this from time to time. Controversies will come up. So in the first church, the first controversy that mentioned in the Scripture is that concerning the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews. And so we look at that passage and we find the twelve, the disciples decided, we're going to have seven men selected from among you. In our church, we call them deacons. And their job and their responsibility is going to be to make sure these issues are dealt with. 
to be in charge of the service and meeting the service. I entitled the sermon, Chosen to Serve. I read, and uh, there is a uh, book that was written a number of years ago, and, and one of my professors at New Orleans Seminary uh, rewrote the book and, and re-edited the book and rewrote a number of chapters in the book, and it's, t- and it's, it's titled, Equipped for the, for the Good Work. Equipped for the Good Work. Dr. Joe Coffin wrote that book, and in his book he deals with this passage of Scripture and deals with the role of a deacon, a servant in the church, chosen to serve. But not only does he deal with deacons in that aspect, but he deals with the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that in Christ we're all chosen to serve. In Christ we are servants. On the night that Christ was betrayed in the 22nd chapter of the book of Luke, There was a dispute that rose up after the eating of the Lord's Supper together. There was a dispute that rose up between those disciples right there in His presence. Who was the greatest? Who was the best? Who was the most important? Who was going to be first? They wanted to know. And Jesus goes into that passage and that time and using it as a teachable moment, says to those disciples, unless you become servants to all, you're not going to be great. If you're going to be the greatest among you, you must be a servant to all. Christian and the call to be Christ-like is to become a servant. The call to be Christ-like goes all the way to the willingness to die on a cross, if necessary, for others as Jesus died. To give of myself, to give of what God has blessed me with so that others might know Jesus. It's a long way. It may be a long way from where we are. It may be a long way from what we understand. That Christianity and, and, and serving the Lord Jesus Christ is not so much about me and mine and my desire and my wants. But it's about reaching out to other individuals. Extending that hand to lift up and to encourage. Always wanting to be willing to heal and to mend problems and issues. Finding an issue and fixing it. My younger brother sometimes had a tendency to not do what needed to be done. Daddy, one evening, Daddy came in and he was late. He got, Daddy was on a schedule. We knew he worked uh, shift work, and so we knew exactly when Daddy and, and Daddy drove. He he he, drive, he is the slowest. He drove slower than anyone else in. Amit County, okay? He was the slowest driver. I don't know if he was accustomed to plowing mules, and that's why he drove so slow, because most mules could, could walk faster than Daddy would drive. My daddy got a speeding ticket one time, and uh, the judge threw it out. Said, it can't be. Said, I, I need to call that, that highway patrolman in and has, ask him, has he lost his mind? Delton Campbell drives slower than anybody else in the whole county, and you've written him a speeding ticket? Couldn't be. He threw it out. So there's nothing that can bear witness to this. Nobody has ever seen him speed. So Daddy was late one day, and he didn't come in, and we thought, well, what's going on? Why Daddy's not, not here? And when he got there, he was all sweaty. I mean, he was just sweaty. It's like, that's not like Daddy. He, he worked, and, and he drives home, and, and he, he just, he's got sweat down. And in, and, and in the conversation as it started was, Boys, who left the gap down? Now, not a gate, a gap. All right? There is a difference. 
Now, if you're not from South Mississippi, you may not know, but a gap's one thing and a gate's something else. Anyway, the conversation was who left the gap down? Because what Dad had been doing over on the other road was chasing cows and getting them back in the field. We didn't know that. He was on his way home. He had worked all day. He'd been up since 3 o'clock in the morning, and he was on his way home, and he was tired. But he knew those cows couldn't stay in that road, and so he got there, and he began to run them back. He went to open the gap, but the gap was already open. It's time to own up. A little confession. And my little brother made this comment. I didn't leave it down. I saw it down, but I just left it that way. And he got a whipping. Were the cows out? No, sir, they weren't out. And I just left the gate down because it was already down. So we see things that need to be fixed and we walk on by and we think, it's not my responsibility. It's not my point to be a servant. It's not my role to be a part and reaching out in the hands that God uses to fix the issue or to prevent it from becoming an issue. I'm not going to serve in that capacity. And yet in the early church, the apostles said, those twelve said, what we need to do is we need to have seven men, a number, a biblical number, that would serve in this position and become those first seven deacons. And so listen to what he gives the instruction. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. Much is made about the qualifications of deacons today and pastoral leadership. People want to look at it and judge by it. Write it out in letters and, and, and 1, 2, and 3, and A, B, and C, under those 1, 2, and 3. And so we can read it and we can know exactly But when we start off with these three first requirements for the men that are going to be chosen to serve, when we take these first three, we're going to cover a whole host and a whole multitude of other qualifications that are listed other places in the Scripture. These are going to be something that fits into the whole ball of wax, as you may want to say. Listen to what he says. Men of good reputation. We don't want someone in this position of leadership who does not have a good reputation. What we do outside the walls of this building as Christians, as you and I live on a daily basis representing the body of Christ all over this town, all over this county, maybe all over the state if you travel in great distances, is that we want you and we need you, pastor, deacons, to have a good reputation. We do not need to be seen as scoundrels or no counts. We don't need to be seen as those who will cheat and and deceive and be deceptive in business practices to get their way or to accomplish their desires. We need to be of good reputation. But it's not just the leadership, but all Christians need to make sure their reputations are good reputations. What is your reputation in the community where you live today? Are you available for service? 
within the congregation of the church? Are you available for service in the missions of the church outside its wall? Are you available in the community for service because, you, number one, you are a good reputation? What is your name? What does it stand for? What is your work ethic? What is your personality? What is your character? When we say good reputation, it's a whole lot of things that go into that good reputation. Oh, he's always been somebody who's grumpy. He's always got a bad attitude. He's always been negative. She's always been a gossip. She's always talked about other people's business. That doesn't fall in the category of a good reputation. What is your reputation on Facebook? Are you an individual that people have to keep hiding because of the off-color jokes that you make? Or the suggestions that you make which are not proper and fitting in the kingdom of God? Being of good reputation today, it's getting broader and broader. More and more people are influenced. I can tell you about some of my friends in the past, and, and I think, my goodness, I don't know. I hate to say it, individuals that I grew up with and lived a part of, went to school with, spent a lot of my time with, I couldn't be friends with them on Facebook. I couldn't. Because of things they post and words that they use, I couldn't have that coming across my screen and say, I can, I can do that. I don't support that. I don't live that way. My reputation is too important. That's why I'm not on Facebook, period. I'm not any of y'all's friend, okay? I unfriended y'all. A whole group. What is your reputation like? If you're going to have someone serve in the household of the Lord, it must be a good reputation. The character above reproach. That personality. Never quarrelsome, always peaceable, trying to accomplish the greatest, the best for the kingdom of God. What is the reputation? He moves then from for the reputation outside the church walls, outside the community, which is a great feat to be of good reputation in the community, especially if you've lived in a community all your life, that all your business, de- business dealings and all of those things you've worked with and had happened to you inside the community. You're still a good reputation. I have two men in my home community. Let me look and see if I've got time for these stories. I do. And these two men are are well up in years. Okay, they're in their late 80s and early 90s. And about four years ago, four years ago, these, these two men I look up to and have looked up to all my life. But their property lines don't parallel each other, but they corner. You know, they just, the only thing of their property that touches is the corner post. That's the only thing. That's the only place their properties touch is the corner post. One on the south uh, east corner and one on the northwest corner of the property, and they touch at that one point. I mean, folks, we're talking about right there. That's it. One place where the lines meet. The east and west and north and south lines meet right there in the corner. That's where they touch. And so there had been a forest fire that came through, and it burned down the corner post. And the corner post burned down and the old fence fell. And so one of the men decided that he would take his son-in-law and they would go up, who happens to be my brother, but anyway, he would go up there and they would replace the corner post. But they couldn't dig up the old post, so they moved over a foot. Just far enough to get away from it where you could put a new post hole down and dig a post. 
And while they're doing that, the neighbor comes up, hears them over there with their tractors in the woods, and he comes up there to see, and they're moving it afoot. And the two old men get in a fight. One of them swinging the hammer at the other. They never hit each other, but they stumbled and they fell in the woods there, hurting themselves more than anything. And, and for me to think of it, it's, it, it's just hilarious. You mean they were doing what? Not these two men. Reputations that far exceed any kind of such foolishness over a burnout corner post. But Christians will destroy their reputation over the least little things. Letting words and attitude being displayed that do not glorify God at all. Listen to what he says. He said there must be a good reputation full of the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit. This is an attitude. This is what comes from God. Overflowing with that wisdom that we read about in the book of James. James was talking about this wisdom from above. This peaceable, kind Spirit of God. Filled with this Spirit. Not just partially being godly. These are need to be godly men. These need to be men that when you look at their lives, you know above all things that they are Christians and they're honorable because they love and serve the Lord. Their desire is and their passion is to honor God in all that they do. In every day, in every aspect of their life, they acknowledge the gifts that they've received and the blessings that God has poured out upon them as being from God. They're filled with the Spirit. Nothing is of their own. It is what God has provided. So they're of good reputation, but they're filled with the Spirit. Their spiritual life is above question. Knowing that they study God's Word, knowing they spend time in prayer, knowing they spend time in sharing and telling, bearing witness to their children and their grandchildren that there is a great and holy God. It must be there. Full of the Spirit. And full of wisdom. Three characteristics. Three qualifications given to those first seven men and to the congregation that's about to elect seven deacons. That's going to be a rollover effect today that you can have many, many deacons in churches, large churches that have hundreds of deacons serving in those churches today. It started here. Good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Wisdom. That is from above. To look beyond today, to look beyond the heat of the moment, to look beyond the present issue and down the road at what God is going to do and wants to do years from now. We sit here today and we think that we have come to worship God and that our worshiping of God this morning is about the moment that we're in right now. It is not. It is about the years to come. The changes and things that we talked about doing within the church, it's not about today. It's about years to come. Every week I, I go and, and, and I go to the River City Mission and I enjoy the work there, but I, my heart is broken when I go and watch someone, a man, an adult man, struggling to find the Word of God. Turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John and they struggle to know where is that Gospel of John? Where is that book that that preacher's talking about? It ought not be so in the house of God where children and young people don't know where the Gospel of John is. We ought to know where to look in God's Word. Wisdom ought to teach us 
that the young men that are going to stand and fill this pulpit in the future will know the Word of God from front to back. They will not hesitate when asked to look in the Scripture. Wisdom to look beyond today and for the future. Wisdom. You need to be filled with wisdom. Wisdom that is from God. The apostle said, you set them over these issues. And we're going to continue. And we find the results of their actions. As they chose seven men, the scripture says, and the church. So the preaching about God flourished. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Down in verse 7, out of the mist and out of the turmoil and out of the, the problem and the issue, with Christian wisdom dealing with it, the church grew and flourished in Jerusalem. And I want to tell you, all the issues of the ages. And if you look back and you take a course or you buy a book on Christian history, and you look at all the problems that the church has faced, both here in the United States and worldwide, as the church has grown and continued to preach the gospel, you will shake your head and you will wonder, how did God do anything with us? The thing is, it's not about us. The power of the gospel and the name of Jesus changes hearts and lives. And the church continues to grow today. Worldwide, the church is growing and multiplying, and people are coming to faith in Jesus every day worldwide. Leadership chosen to serve with qualifications that are so high, a standard set so high, good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Where are you today? Do you count yourself as being wise? Are you ready to serve? Do you count that, hey, I believe God is working in my life and I know that God has blessed me and I'm ready to serve? I'm ready to do all that I can for my Lord. I'm ready, as we, we, we studied in our Sunday school lesson this morning, that we are ready to put God first in everything that we do. Above all things, I'm going to put God first. This morning in our invitation time, it's going to be an extended invitation because I want to offer to you the opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior if you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian and you know Christ, an opportunity to rededicate your life, to come and pray with me and rededicate your life to Jesus. But also in this invitation time, I'm going to, I'm going to lay these books down here. And they're, they're, they're where you could sign up to work in Awana or Bible drills or missions. You could sign up to work in one of those. You don't have to be specific. Someone will know and look at you and say, I know their skills and what they can do and can't do, an age group that they uh, may not be able to handle, but they can work in an age group in one of these groups, and you'd be willing to do that. They're going to be here on this altar. I'm going to be off to one side so you can get to them if you'd like to sign up and be a part. We encourage you to do that this morning. Why? Because in Christ we are chosen to serve. Now use that which God has blessed you with and honor and glorify Him in the days to come.
Lord Jesus, we come into your presence this morning and we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace. And Father, as these men were chosen in that first church in those early days to be examples and to decide and to put down the disputes that were happening, Father, I pray that you would lead us to do the same thing. Our roles may not be as big. Our responsibilities may not be as large. But Father, our character, our spiritual condition of our lives and our hearts, Father, the wisdom that we use, it cannot be any less. Father, we must choose to serve you and honor you and glorify you in all things. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to come this morning. And now we pray that you'll take this service and you'll use it to the glory and honor of your kingdom. Lead us in this time of invitation. Direct our hearts and our minds that we will glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.